How many of you at some point in your lives have worn a bracelet with the letters WWJD on it? Raise your hand. A few of you. To some degree, I'm aging a few of you. <laughs> what would Jesus do? This was a popular um, question and bracelet, uh, very popular in the 90s, early 90s, uh, but it had its run in the 60s. Interestingly enough, I went and kind of did a little bit of research on this, and uh, Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in England, uh, made a comment two or three times, what would Jesus do? He did it in quotes, so it's possible he was quoting somebody else um, in the early 1800s. Um, or late 1800s, I'm sorry. There was a book written by that title around 1900. Uh, But the concept behind it was the question, as we should always remind and ask ourselves in our situations, what would Jesus do, right? That that gives us the the mental trigger. That's why we wear bracelets. I looked, I didn't find any of mine. Um, Back again when I was younger, asking myself, when I'm confronted with the challenge, what would Jesus do? The unfortunate part about that concept is most of us don't really have a good idea of what would Jesus would do because we don't know Jesus very well. And it being close to Easter, this is where I thought we would spend some time today asking ourselves, what is Jesus like? What's he like? We see a lot of pictures and paintings. We see him portrayed in movies, sometimes better than others. We hear a lot about him. We know many of the popular Sunday school stories that we've heard. But what's he really like? Because if we're going to be like him, if we're going to ask the question, what would he do, and therefore apply that same logic to how I should live my life, we have to know about him before we can answer that question, right? We get really caught up, those of us who have spent a lot of time in church with what we think we know, but maybe we don't dive very deeply into who Jesus is. So I want to look through some things today. We're going to go real rapidly through the scriptures, uh, really just reading a single verse to support some of what I have here as we go through here, and then we'll slow down at the end a little bit. But um, I just want to start by saying, I'm going to list a few things, but the list is exhaustive, right? I mean, there's more than what I could possibly cover today when we talk about who Jesus is. But I want to begin with one that um, you may have heard before or may not. Um, Jesus wasn't particularly handsome. Maybe that strikes some of you as odd, or maybe that's counterintuitive to many of the portraits that we've seen people try and imagine what he's like. Uh, Isaiah 53 and 2 says, There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. It wasn't that Jesus came onto the scene and was just looked like a leader and people wanted to follow after him. Uh, I'm not saying he was ugly. That's not what I'm saying. But he wasn't anything necessarily to stand out. I'd say he was pretty an average Jewish person of his time period. I think this is actually kind of important because many times today we are so heavily influenced by looks. In fact, if you read some political history, you would see that uh, uh, many people think that many of our leaders in the past would never have been elected today because they don't look very pretty. Um, And we see uh, some change in that. So we go a lot by looks, but he wasn't anything necessarily um, beautiful to look at or have a compelling reason to follow after him. That's about the only thing we hear about Jesus and his looks, actually, through the scriptures. 
So here are some characteristics um, that we know about Jesus based on what the scripture tells us. He was compassionate. He was compassionate. Um, Matthew 9 and 36 says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were um, helpless and sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus looked on the crowds and he had great compassion for them. Many of us have uh, compassion for different people. There's something called compassion fatigue. You ever heard of that? Maybe you, you care so much that at some point you kind of stop caring. Many of us in this church are in the helping profession. We're teachers in other ways. And it can be easy for us to get tired with compassion. I don't think Christ ever got tired of helping. <clears throat> Compassionate was one of the things that he is and did then and does today. He desires to help people out. And of course, we see all through Scripture, he would heal them of their diseases. He would feed them, as we mentioned this morning, feeding um, the 5,000 that was sung about just a moment ago. He desired to help them. He looked down and wanted to help them. It wasn't an obligation. It wasn't a duty. It was part of who he is. And so we can ask ourselves the question, do we have compassion on those who are around us? Do we look at them and desire to help them and to support them, both physically and spiritually? Are we there realizing that the world is sheep without a shepherd? Jesus is also very uh, serious and focused. I didn't really find a specific verse to support this, but I think all through Scripture you can see Jesus was never sidetracked. He knew what his goal and mission in life was, and he was going to accomplish that goal and that mission that was given to him by his father. He wasn't going to get sidetracked to do something else. He wasn't going to get disturbed by something someone said. No, he was be serious and focused on what he had to do. Now with that, and I hadn't really planned on saying this, I do think Jesus had a sense of humor, and I'm sure he had a few laughs with his disciples and a few others. I'm sure he enjoyed the evening campfires with his friends, as you and I might do today. But he never lost sight of what his purpose in life was, what his vision. And he steadfastly went toward that all the way, ultimately to the cross and to his death and eventual resurrection. Christ also had the attitude of a servant. You can see where part of my confusion for today came in. Christ was a servant. In fact, he said in Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man comes not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is wildly different from what we would expect most rulers today, most people of authority, which he certainly was, to do. We generally would serve them. We would want to be the one who do things for them, and they would gladly accept it. In fact, that's a very serious problem we have with many of our politicians today. They'd rather be served than to serve, even though they tell us the opposite. But Jesus actually lived that model out. He was a servant to those that he was with. He assisted them. He helped them. He had compassion, as we just said. But he was ultimately a servant. I don't know if anybody here has ever engaged in a foot washing. <coughs> it is one of the most awkward, uncomfortable things I've ever done but told me a lot about who Jesus was because he was a servant. I think we lose sight of this sometimes, not realizing that God himself came down to earth and took on the form of a human 
and then was willing to lower himself to such a degree that he did what the slaves of the time would do, which was wash his disciples' feet, including the one who was going to betray him only moments later. Until you really stop and consider what that meant and what that symbolized, it's hard to realize. Jesus Christ was a servant. He didn't come here to be served. And so we should be servants as well. He was submissive to his father's will. And then I have separately, he was obedient to his father's will. I think this will be the sermon for next week, so I'll just briefly mention there is a difference between submission and obedience that we need to understand. So submission is a voluntary readiness of the spirit to follow another person. Obedience can be willing or unwilling. You can be obedient and still not be willing. Many of us are like that at work, right? We're obedient because we have to be, even though we don't really want to be. Or maybe at school, right? We have to do this work even though we don't really want to. That's different than being submissive to someone's requests. It's a heart difference. Jesus Christ met both of those things. He was not only obedient to his Father's will, he was submissive to it. Matthew 29 and 39, thinking of Easter coming up and going a little further, he fell down on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but you. You see, Jesus Christ understood what he was being asked to do, and yet he was still submissive in spirit to his father. He was going to be obedient, yes, but he wanted to fulfill what his father told him to do. Likewise, Hebrews 5 and 8 says, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so we have this idea that Jesus Christ was both obedient and submissive to his father, doing the things that he wanted him to do. And we likewise should be both obedient and submissive to him. That means that sometimes we do the things we don't want to do because we are obedient But the goal is to be submissive in that my heart aligns with what the Lord wants me to do and therefore I do those things voluntarily. And I'll just pause there. I'll give you sermon number three all at once. (laughs) Jesus had a heart of mercy and forgiveness. This is really, really hard for us today, isn't it? To be merciful and to forgive other people. Even on the cross, Luke 23 and 24, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, even as they cast lots to divide his garments. We went through a few weeks ago on a Sunday night all the different ways that Jesus was, um, the the trials were, were a sham. They made up evidence against him. They violated his rights over and over again by today's standards. They violated his rights by Hebrew custom and law. They violated his rights by Roman rule and law. He was left all alone, beaten and abused, hung up on a cross with the literal weight of the world of sin, both past, present, and even today in the future, not knowing what will come next. Jesus Christ took on all of that and then was willing to look down and say, Father, forgive the ones who are nailing me here because they don't know 
know what they're doing. That is a model of mercy and forgiveness that I can't even fathom. It's hard enough to forgive someone who has hurt you emotionally or spiritually or even physically. I talked with a man once. I won't give too many details, but he was honest. It was a friend of mine, and he was very honest with me one night. And um, he he'd seen some experience serving our country in, in another country, and um, and he told me he said, "I know I should, but I can't really forgive some of what happened over there to me and my friends." And I appreciate that honesty. Because that's a very real reminder that sometimes it's very, very hard to forgive. And yet Jesus Christ is forgiveness. He has forgiven us for all the things that we've done to him and to each other. He has the capability and desire to give all of us mercy, to forgive us of all the sin that we've done, all the wrong that we've portrayed in this world. And it doesn't matter how good you think you are or how bad you think you are or actually are. Jesus Christ stands ready to give mercy and forgiveness to every single person. He forgave the Apostle Paul from all the things that he did and set him on a path that was just phenomenal. He is ready to do the same thing for you if you have not received his forgiveness. And if you have received his forgiveness, we cannot and should not carry with us this idea of guilt because he has forgiven us and set us on a path of righteousness. He is full of mercy and full of forgiveness. Tied closely with that, Jesus is love. Jesus is love. In two verses, you can read the book of John. John is such a great book because it emphasizes how much Jesus loved. John 11 and 5 says, Now Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. We see a beautiful example of the relationship that Jesus had with someone who didn't go with him but stayed, as we already pointed out this morning. A family who supported him and loved him. A family who he taught. A family that when one of them died, he wept over his death. Why? Because he loved other people. We should be loving as well. Jesus is love and we ought to be as well. If you've ever read the book of John, you may have noticed that there's a peculiar way that the author refers to himself in the third person. In particular, John 13 and 23 says, One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. That's John talking about himself. He didn't want to say himself, I guess, and so he would say the one that Jesus loved, thereby seeing that Jesus did and does love. The reality of all this, as I hope I've made it clear the last few months with some of the sermons. It wasn't just that Jesus loved his 12 disciples only. It wasn't just that he only loved his parents. It wasn't just that he only loved those who are around him because Jesus is in fact God and is in fact alive today. He loves you. Now let that sink in for a minute. God, Jesus, same thing loves you. 
I'm going to continue to say it because I think it's one of the greatest threats that we have to our entire civilization at this time. You are not worthless. Jesus loves you. It's the simplest little children's song that we sing. Jesus loves you. But the truth and the power within that is just almost unimaginable that we can't hardly even fathom it. Why on earth would Jesus know me, let alone love me? Why on earth would he know me and love me, but yet actually die for me as well? I never asked him to die for me. In fact, it said that he reconciled me. He died for me before I even knew that I needed forgiveness. That is the power that Jesus loves to. That is how he loves us. That is why you are worth more than anything else. Because he loves you. And our society will tell you the exact opposite of that, that you hear by accident, that the entire world just exploded somehow and came to being, that if you don't like who you are, you can change it, and this certain sector of society will celebrate you. Brothers and sisters, the reality is God knows you and loves you. And that should be encouraging to us. It's also an example that we should have to others. Yes, we should have compassion for people. Yes, we should have mercy and forgiveness. But we are also to love other people. And you know what? Not just the people who like us and love us back. Love your enemies. Raise your hand if you want to sign up for that one. And now we see the difference between obedience and submission. Because I'll be honest, I'm not always loving to the people I don't like. Sometimes I'm just begrudgingly obedient. Does that make sense? But what God really wants is not us to be obedient in love, but to be submissive to love. Jesus Christ was honest and truthful. Honest and truthful. He never violated his own word. And whenever he spoke, it was truth. Why? Because Jesus, as the scripture tells us, is truth. Jesus didn't have a corner on truth. He was and is truth. This is an entirely different concept. To know Jesus is to know truth. Truth is what Jesus is. And what Jesus is, is truth. He says as much, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In John 14, 6. And so if we are going to ask the question again, I hope you're following along, what would Jesus do? We are to be honest and truthful, even when it isn't popular, even when it hurts, even when it means that we might suffer because of our honesty and our truthfulness. That is what we are called to do. Why? Because that is what Jesus did, and we are to follow after him. Jesus was also prayerful. Jesus was prayerful. Now, Consider how important prayer is when we consider how often Jesus Christ did it all the time. If you read through the scripture, you'll see it all the time. He pulls himself away, seemingly, air quotes here, seemingly neglecting to help those who are around him. You ever notice that? You might think, well, while there's someone to be healed, Jesus should always be healing, right? While there's someone to feed, Jesus should always be feeding, right? While there's someone to listen to the sermon, Jesus should always be preaching. Jesus understood 
to be obedient and submissive, to do what his father's will was, he needed to do what? To talk and be with his father. And so he constantly pulled away just to spend time in prayer with his father, to receive encouragement, to receive direction, to know what he would do. Luke 5, 16, I'm going to read a different version. It says, but Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray in seclusion. The King James translated it slightly differently, but the emphasis is that this would happen often or frequently. Jesus would step aside frequently and go by himself to pray and be with the Lord. And if we want to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? Then we need to be in prayer. How often? Often. Even when it seems like there's something to do. Even when it's a good thing to do, we must step back and be in prayer. Jesus was uh, peaceable. He was peace. He didn't argue his case or try to bully his way into people's hearts. Jesus would simply speak the truth and allow that to resonate. I didn't understand this when I was much younger. It's probably because, partly because I truly wasn't saved myself. I would try to argue all the time and defend. I would try to pressure and say, well, don't you believe? Don't you want to do this? But the reality is, Jesus Christ would make his case and he would allow the Holy Spirit to have his work in someone's life. I've said this before, he's a gentleman in that way. He doesn't force people to do things. And so connecting with what I started earlier today with and where we've left off a few times, if he is telling you to do something, he's not going to make you do it. So if you're waiting for him to make you, <laughs> you're going to wait a long time. Jesus was also intimate. And I mean that in the way that he knew people well, a close relationship. He spent time with his disciples and his followers. In fact, he desired their presence many times. He wanted to have fellowship with them. He taught them. He helped them. He focused on them. If we want to really be like Jesus Christ in this world, we need to have relationships with other people. Those relationships can certainly be augmented or supported or enhanced by the technology that we have today. We can call people. We can do video messages and Zooms and we can do text messages. We can write letters. We can do all manner of things that even just 50 years ago would have been very challenging to do. But those things don't fully replace this idea that we're here today together to have fellowship with each other. We're going to go spend time with each other in a little bit. And that's a good thing. That's a scriptural thing that we are supposed to do. It is something that Jesus did when he was here and is waiting to do with us when we get up there. 
to spend time with each other, to encourage each other, to love each other, this to serve each other. This is when all this happens, when we are together to be intimate with each other, to share things with each other. Now, as I made a joke this morning to a few of you, I haven't heard any specific stories about the ladies' retreat last weekend. But I've heard lots of really good comments. I've heard that it was helpful to get to know each other, to see each other, to support each other. That is exactly what we are to do as believers. We are to know each other at an intimate level so that we can encourage one another, that we can support each other, that we can fully love each other by knowing one another. That's a good thing. That's what Jesus did to us, and that's what we should do not only to him, but to others. Just a couple more. Jesus was a strong yet meek leader. We talked about this, I believe it was last Sunday or the Sunday before. Meek doesn't mean fearful. (coughs) Everywhere he went, people followed after him, eager to listen what he had to say. In fact, there's a a peculiar uh, passage, Matthew 7, 28 and 29 Matthew 7, 28 says, When Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. You see, the people realized it wasn't his good looks. That's actually why I started with that one. It wasn't that he was just incredibly eloquent and a commanding speaker. I don't know anything about that. But what I know that the scripture records the people thought was so intriguing is that he had this thing called authority and power. And that came directly from his father through the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ was different than everyone else who had taught because he spoke with knowledge, power, and authority. He was strong in what he said. He didn't mince words. He didn't change his mind. He didn't ease his way into things. He would simply say with authority, this is truth because he is truth. Too many times, as I've also mentioned the last few sermons, we are weak in this way. We want to say, well, I don't know. That could be right. Or you you could be correct when in fact we know that that person's wrong. We need to be meek and strong as well. But we have to know the scripture and know our doctrine in order to be so. And if you want authority, and if you want power, don't look for a title. Don't look for a position. Look for a man or a woman who's been with God. Because power and authority flows only from him. Not from a title not from a position. Jesus was, you ready for this one? Patient. I've told a few of you, I've only been told one, I've only been told one thing I can't preach on, that's patience. And I know it was a joke, but I'm going to get there someday. We're going to give you a sermon on patience. But here's the reality. He was very patient. He understood us because he was like us and he put up with us even when we didn't understand. A couple of verses here, Mark 9, 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? 
bring him to me. This is an example of where Jesus' disciples were trying to heal somebody. They couldn't do it. And he says this, and you might read this out of frustration, but I don't think it was. I think it was compassion. Oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long do I have to bear with you? Bring him to me. Jesus wants us to be more like him, but Jesus knew at that time that he only had a short time to teach and to train. Brothers and sisters, the reality is you have a very short time to be in this earth to be like him. And his desire is that we would be like him. And he is still here every day. It's not like we've offended him and he goes away. He is patient with us. And every day, if we take two steps forward and one step back, he's patient the next day to help us take two more. He's even patient with us when we take four or five steps back because he loves us and he cares for us. Let us never run away thinking, well, I've just messed up too much for Jesus to love me. No, absolutely not. He is patient. He wants us. John 14 and 9, and Jesus said, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen the Father, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say... Show us the Father. Here, one of his own disciples misunderstood what was going on here and says, well, we want to see God. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, you've seen me. You've seen God. Don't you think that'd be discouraging? However long Philip had been hanging around. All the lessons Jesus had tried to teach over and over and over again. And Philip goes, well, I want to see God. And Jesus is like, I'm right here. But he was patient. Because he wanted Philip to understand. Second Peter 3 and 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The reality is this, brothers and sisters, if you are here today, God is still being patient. He is still desiring that you come to him, both for salvation for the first time and to be more like him, to ask ourselves a question in our daily lives, what would he do? He is still being patient with us. He wants you to know him intimately. He wants to make peace with you when you confess your sins to him and give over to him. He is desiring to be Patient. And if you're here today, that means you have another opportunity. Jesus is also relatable. I think maybe sometimes this is where we fall off the track. Maybe some of these things we intuitively knew. But you know, it's very easy for us, just like we do with many other folks who are in the Scripture, to put Jesus on this higher plane and say, well, He's just so good that I'm this and can't really relate but the reality is he's just like us now how that works i don't fully understand i'll confess to you i can't comprehend how someone can be fully god and yet fully man but i believe that's what the scripture says well i know that's what the scripture says and i therefore believe it to be true but struggle to understand it just to say that but understand because he lived a life like us he understands the trials the burdens, the struggles, the disappointments, the pain, and all the good things too. He's had his friends abandon him. He's had people say things about him that weren't true. 
I have no doubt he's struggled at work, stubbed his toe, etc., etc. Jesus knows us, and we can relate to him. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews 4.15, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who is in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. When you lose a loved one, Jesus knows what that's like. When you're betrayed or abandoned, he knows what that's like. When you're frustrated at work or at school, when something doesn't go your way, he knows what that's like. When you get something good, he knows what that's like. When you're excited about what's coming, he knows what that's like. When you have concern or worry over what's coming, he knows what that's like. We can relate to him because he was in all ways like us. And that should be encouraging. As I opened with, this is not a complete summary list. Jesus was much more than all of these things. My encouragement is that you dig into the scriptures and that you find out who he is. In the book of Acts, it's recorded that in the city of Antioch, those who were believers of Jesus Christ, this is after he's been crucified and resurrected, they began to call them Christians there. The best interpretation that I have for this, at least the one that's most meaningful to me, is Christian means to be Christ-like. There's debate over whether this was meant to mock Christians or whether this was something that they developed themselves. But either way, we know very early on, people were called Christians. You could go so far, I've heard it explained, that means like little Christs or to be like Christ. Many of you today who are here, who have come to know the Lord, would claim to be a Christian. Are you Christ-like? Would you do what Jesus did? Are you prayerful? Are you intimate with others? Are you strong? Are you patient? Are you loving? All these attributes, all these characteristics, all these personalities of Jesus Christ, all these things that we see that Jesus Christ was and is today, are you like those things? Now, before you get too down on yourself and say, well, I don't ever want somebody to call me Christian again because I'm not any of those things, let us not forget he still loves us. The goal is obedience and submission. The goal is to continue to move forward and to finish as best we can. Jesus knows that we can't be perfect, but he wants us to try and be more like him. And so as we conclude today, I want us to consider what are you doing that's like Jesus? Are you a Christian? Are you being Christ-like? Are you asking yourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? Do you even know Jesus well enough to be able to answer that question? If you don't, then the answer is what? Reading the Word of God. It's spending time in prayer. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to move in our lives to give us direction. We are to be more Christ-like than we have been in the past. Some of you have 
known him for decades. Are you more Christ-like than you were when you were saved? Be honest with yourselves. Don't be completely down. Many times we fail, but that failure is not the end of the story. Let me close with a reading of the book of Philippians. You can turn there if you like. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 11 verses. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill you my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than himself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and of things of earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's beautiful. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Are you like Christ? Do you share a like mind? Are your goals and ambitions aligned with what his are? Are you following after him? Are you patient? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you intimate with those around you? Are you striving for peace? Are you mastering obedience and discipline? Are you uh, relatable to those who are around you? Are you, is your mind like the one that was in Jesus Christ? Do you even know his mind? Because Jesus, as it continues to say, was willing to do what it took to be obedient to his father. He became like us, to be one of us, and ultimately to be crucified. He humbled himself and became obedient to death. And because of his sacrifice, the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. You see, someday, someday, you will have to bow. We all will. All of us will be called upon at some point to bow. And it really comes down to an interesting question. Will you bow out of obedience? Remember, obedience is willing and unwillingly. Even those who are unwilling to confess who Jesus is, at some point will have to bow. Or will you be submissive to him? And bow voluntarily because you know 
Because your heart says, he is God and I am not. What would Jesus do? Are you like Christ? If you are, then you must be submissive to him. You must come before him and confess your sins and seek what only he can give. And then, whether you want to be or not, you must be obedient to him. And so I want to give us an opportunity to be obedient. And I'll just go ahead and get part of next week's sermon out of the way, I guess. What does it mean to be obedient when we give an invitation or we sing a hymn? That means that whether you're willing or not, you're supposed to do what God tells you to do. That might mean that you need to go and pray with somebody. That might mean you need to go and give someone a hug or encouragement. It might mean whether you want to or not, you might need to come down here and to pray. It might mean you need to pray at your seat. It might mean whether you want to or not, you must confess the sins that you have committed over the last day, week, month, years perhaps. But it means it's an opportunity for you to be obedient, whether you like it or not, to what God is calling you to do. And so as we sing a hymn, I encourage you to ask yourself, what would Jesus do? And the answer is obedience, whether you like it or not.